0: Om
1: um, akhandam sajjidanandam avaang manasa gocharam, atmanam akhila dharam So in Vedanta Sara, we were on text number forty thirty nine. we are turned up to 39. It's important to take a quick look back and see what we have accomplished so far. Um, vedanta says that it will be it will be taught by the method of adhyaropa apavada which means superimposition and desuperimposition. so what is adhyaropa and what is apavada what is superimposition it is taking the reality to be not what it is taking the rope to be the snake for example so you take the absolute brahman to be this word we are the absolute, but we take ourselves to be this body, mind, these persons. So that's superimposition. And that's an error. And that has to be corrected. Um, the, what is the correction? The negation that is called apavada, de superimposition. What is that like? It's like recognizing that it's not a snake, it's a rope. Recognizing that it's not the universe, it is nothing other than Brahman, the absolute. I am that absolute. So that is the negation that is De superimposition. That's going to be the whole process, and that's the heart of all that goes on in Advaita Vedanta. For that, the author so first has to define what he means by real and unreal. Note that the process is always he introduces new terms and then immediately defines them. And that's the importance of this text. Why are we at all doing this particular text? We have already done Dhrigdrishya Viveka or Aparokshanubhuti, which are wonderful teachings of, you know, that they. Present Advaita Vedanta, I would say, much more interesting way than this dry uh, little textbook. But what is important about this textbook is, it just is a book of definitions. So when we talk about Advaita Vedanta, we need to know uh, very precisely what are we talking about. What exactly is God? What exa- exactly is a sentient being, us, jiva? What are we exactly? What are we talking about? What is liberation? What is enlightenment? So all these things you will be surprised to see how with what precision they have been defined and it's a so it, it's a, a wonderful textbook which sets out the essence of advaita vedanta in a finished form um, after centuries of tradition finally putting it all together in a form which to which students can be introduced or through which students can be introduced to advaita vedanta that's what this does and this also gives us a fine foundation for entry into the original texts of Advaita Vedanta, the Upanishads, which is what we will do later on. So the definitions are important. It's going to be definitions um, all the way through. So definitions are very important. And it's, it's a joy actually to get so much clarity. Whether you agree or not, first of all, let's agree what we are talking about. And that's wonderful in itself. Uh, so much in religion is so vague. And you will see how precise Advaita Vedanta is. You may disagree, but we are very clear about what you are agreeing to or disagreeing to. All right. So he just said that taking the real to be the unreal, uh, that is superimposition, and taking the unreal back to, be, to, to find out, finding out the real in the unreal, that is de-superimposition or negation. So that begs the question, what is real and what is unreal? In Advaita Vedanta, the real is the absolute, existence, consciousness, bliss, non-dual, brahman, and everything else. Remember just just text number 33, everything else starting from ignorance downwards. Downwards means products of ignorance. All of it is unreal. Then he goes on to define, what is this ignorance we are talking about? And that was text number, I think it was 34, very important, but pretty vague also. You know, if you see, it's uh, pretty abstract and vague we are talking about maya about uh, cosmic ignorance so it doesn't get any more precise than that having defined that now introduces new players into the field into the game the first new player to enter is ishvara or god the god of religion so what is god we were introduced to um this ignorance has agyanam has a total aspect and an individual aspect. It is divisible. Unlike Brahman, unlike the Absolute, Absolute is not divisible. It is one reality. You can't have parts of Brahman in Advaita Vedanta. Um, You can't have different qualities. It's beyond qualities, beyond attributes. It is just one non-dual reality. But ignorance can be divided. There can be a totality, which is called Maya, or it can have little parts, infinitesimally number of um, infinite number of little parts. So it said in text number 35, this ignorance, which we defined in 34, can be spoken of as a totality, one, or as many parts. When you speak of it as one, it gave, um, it gave two examples. One is the forest example. The other one is the lake example. As a large number of trees, taken individually, you call them trees. Taken all together, you call them one forest. So one forest or many trees, many individual ignorances or one cosmic ignorance. Another example was the lake example. You can take billions of droplets of water or you can take the whole thing together and call it one lake. Similarly, you can have many ignorances, if that's a word, or put it all together, have one total um, ignorance or Maya what is the point of all of this so it says this totality of ignorance call it maya is extraordinarily powerful and we were introduced to when consciousness is associated with this totality of ignorance um, which is called maya consciousness limited by maya is god so that's the point of all this work to consciousness which consciousness Brahman, which was we introduced at the beginning the one reality That one reality, limited by uh, maya, is called God. Immediately you may ask, but didn't you say that the consciousness alone is real and the maya is, and whatever you call it, is unreal, so how can it limit? So it really cannot limit. You're right. But from our perspective, it seems to be limited. Our perspective is already we are within the, the hypnotized, superimposed state. So we have to accept that we are under the influence of this maya or ignorance. So that, that absolute reality, limited by Maya, is called God. And we got four names. Four names for this consciousness, limited by Maya, which is called God. Four names we are introduced to. Adhyaktam, the unmanifest, Antaryami, the inner controller, Jagatkaranam, the creator or the cause of the world, Ishvara, the Lord, which is the common name for God in, in all theistic religions. Four names for what? The absolute reality consciousness limited by, uh, by, often I write Brahman or Nirguna Brahman plus Maya is equal to Saguna Brahman. But the plus does not mean it is something more, uh, it is something greater. No, it's actually a limitation. All right. And this Maya, you can call it the uniform which the absolute puts on, now it becomes God. You can say the Absolute is playing God. How do you play God? You put on the uniform of God. What is the uniform of God? Maya. And this uniform, this Maya, has four names again. I'm on text number 39. That's the last thing we did last time. What are the four names of Maya or this uniform of God? It is called Karana Sharira, the causal body. The names are very evocative. Consciousness with a causal body becomes the cause of the universe. So consciousness with a causal body. Not casual body. Causal body. It's not casual where it says it's business where actually for the for, for the absolute. So for putting on business where it gets down to business to create this universe. So causal body, karana sharira. One name. Second name, um, ananda mayakosha, because it's the it's full well of bliss and it um, like a sheath, it covers consciousness. So it is called the bliss sheath. Third name, um Sushupti, it is the cessation of the entire universe at that level. Remember, no universe is there yet; it's only consciousness and Maya. So that Maya is the cessation of the universe. The universe comes to an end there and begins from there also. But at the level of Maya, there is no, no apparent no universe. Nothing is there; it's just consciousness plus Maya. So it is Sushupti, deep sleep. And then um, the fourth name is Layasthanam it is the place of dissolution dissolution of what the physical universe and the subtle universe all of them become dissolved in the causal universe what is the causal universe maya so four names we have got for maya and four names for um for uh, saguna ishwara what were the four names for ishwara um, abhyaktam the unmanifest uh, the antaryami inner controller and uh, what else was there the um Jagat Karanam, cause of the universe, and Ishwara, the lord of the universe. And for Maya, we have got four names. Um, it is the Karana Shadiram, the causal body. Notice, God is called the cause of the universe, Jagat Karanam. And Maya is the causal body, that is the power of the vehicle or the, or the work clothes of God, you know, with, by, by which God creates this universe. And then it is called Ananda Kosha, the bliss sheath. It is also called um, the sushupti, the state of deep sleep. But this is cosmic sleep, not our sleep. And uh, layasthanam, the place of dissolution or the state of dissolution, dissolution of the entire universe. Now, let us move on. What's going to come next? Us. So one player has been introduced, that is Ishwar or God. The next player to be introduced will be the jiva, us text number 40 yathavanasya vyashtiya viprayena vriksha ity anekatvam anekatva vapedesho yathava jalashayasya vyashtiya viprayena jalaniti tatha agyanasya vyashtya viprayena tad anekatva vapedesha indro <Hebrew> pururupayate tyadi what does that mean? As a forest, from the standpoint of the units that compose it, may be designated as a number of trees, and as a reservoir from the same point, may be spoken of as a quantities of water. So also ignorance when denoting separate units is spoken of as many, as in such shruti passages as Indra through Maya appears as of many forms. Okay, what does it mean? Getting ready to uh, trot out, to bring on stage us. How do you do that? The same absolute consciousness associated with Maya is God. Same absolute consciousness limited by or associated with parts of Maya is us. Each part of Maya, when the same absolute shines through each part of Maya, becomes an individual being like each of us. So now he's going to talk about Maya having many parts. It's proceeding very logically and slowly example go back to the two examples forest example forest and tree example a water a reservoir and drops of water example why these examples i mentioned there are two so behind this is a lot of groundwork which has been done there are two sub schools of advaita vedanta one the school of padmapada padmapada was shankaracharya's first disciple padmapada and his favorite disciple padmapada acharya a monk Um, whose school is known as the Vivarana school. Um, And uh, the, the other school is the school of Vachaspati Mishra called the Bhamati school. And these two schools, they have different views on many topics, several topics. One of the major ones being what is the relationship of the absolute to this universe? How is the one related to the many? One Brahman and this manifold universe, how are they, uh, what, what exactly, how do they work together? How does it happen? So one is the limitation model. The other one is called the reflection model. Reflection model, you know, you can, the example of the, example of the water and uh, uh, sky. So sky reflected in water or maybe sun reflected in, in a pot of water. That's an example of a reflection model it is the absolute reflected in maya um, so that is how the one becomes the many or appears as the many the limitation model is that it is the absolute which um, appears through the limitations of maya uh, example would be the sky and the space enclosed in various spots or various houses so the sky itself and the space apparently enclosed in various parts. The space cannot be enclosed by pots. You may say, "Why not? We have so many pots and there's space in them. No. Pots and bottles and houses and whatever seems to enclose space does not actually enclose space. The, part, the, the space is not in the pot. The pot is in space. Think about it. If you have a glass of water. And you move it. Clearly, the water is in the glass. It's uh, when you move the glass, the water goes with it. Otherwise, you'd make a big bet mess every time you try to move the glass. But the space—suppose you are an empty glass. The space which seems to be in the glass isn't. So, isn't the space in the glass when you move the glass? Doesn't the space travel with it? No, it doesn't. It's the glass which—the uh, glass or the pot—which travels through space. Space doesn't travel uh, with, with the glass. So space seems to be enclosed in pots or glasses or, um, you know, houses, but it's not actually. Uh, In the same way, pure consciousness seems to be enclosed in Maya and bodies and minds and all of that. It isn't. The many uh, just seem to be uh, like demarcations or apparent limitations of the absolute. That's one theory. The other theory is the absolute is reflected in uh, maya and maya is many i mean it can be divided so it the absolute can appear to be uh, many individual beings many entities the one undivided existence can appear as infinite number of existing things one unbroken consciousness can now appear as endless cities of conscious perceptions thoughts feelings ideas one Limitless bliss or value or joy can now appear as the continuous flow of sukha and dukkha, pleasure and pain. So, the two theories. Mm. Story time. I might have repeated these stories other times, but it's a good time because I've introduced these two theories. Uh, They are called Pratibhimbavada, reflection theory, and vada, the limitation theory. Um, sub schools, sub schools of Advaita Vedanta. So, the two stories of Padmapada and Vatsipati Mishra. So, Padmapada Acharya was Shankara Acharya's favorite disciple. He got this name. Padmapada means lotus foot. So, how did he get this uh, strange name, lotus feet? His original name was Sanandan, and um, he was very devoted to Shankaracharya and obviously Shankaracharya favored him. The other disciples got a little jealous and Shankaracharya wanted to teach them um, you know, why Sanandan is so favored. And so one day they were in the mountains. I think there was a fast flowing river between them. Shankaracharya and the other disciples were on this bank. And suddenly Shankaracharya called out to Sanandan, Sanandan, come here. I, I, I want you here. Now, Sanandan had gone to the other bank for some work. When the Guru is calling, he did not hesitate. He did not wait to go around to the bridge and come and cross. Rather, he walked straight into the river uh, because he has to cross over and meet uh, the Guru. Because the Guru is ordering him him to do so. As he walked on the river, he didn't drown, nor did his feet get wet. But everywhere he put his foot, a big lotus bloomed, and he walked across on a bridge of lotuses. All right, I know, but it's a nice story. Now, that's why he's known as um, Padmapada, the lotus-footed one. So that was the story, s- source of his name. Now, how did this school um, originate? Um, after Shankaracharya composed his great commentaries, he composed his commentary on the Brahma Sutras, known as the Brahma Sutra Bhashya. Now, further explanations. This is how Indian philosophy progresses. The original texts, commentaries, sub-commentaries, sub-sub-commentaries. So Shankaracharya has written the crucial commentary establishing a non-dualistic interpretation of the Brahma Sutras of uh, Badarayana. Now, further explanation is necessary. Who will write the sub-commentary on Shankaracharya's commentary? And of course, the um, natural choice was Padmapada. And Shankaracharya interested him. That write a sub-commentary, a tika, which will explain what I have explained already uh, in further detail. So, um, he did that. Um, This uh, Padmapada, he did that. And he um, explained, and Chandracharya heard some of it. And Shankaracharya praised it, the way the commentary was said, have have really captured the spirit of my teachings. Now around this time, so these are long, all these stories are pretty long, Padma Pada wanted to go on on pilgrimage. So Shankaracharya said, all right, you've blessed him, you go ahead. And Padma Padma Pada went to different places. He went to his uh, home where he had come from in the south of India. And his uncle was there and his uncle received him and his uncle was eager to know who is this new young teacher you have become a disciple of. And Shankara was only in his teens. So tell us about him and tell us about his teachings. So Padma explained non-dualism, non-dualistic teaching, Advaita. And his uncle was a dualist. Advaita, Vadi. Mean. So he was really upset by this powerful teaching of non-dualism. He said, this will ruin uh, our, our philosophy. So what do we do? Um, Padma had read out from his book, except from his book, which was an, explaini- an explanation of Shankaracharya's commentary on the Brahma Sutras. So his uncle said, it's a very precious book. Please leave it with me. And uh, go. don't uh, take it, risk taking it with you. Go on your pilgrimage, come back on the way back you Can collect this book. I'll keep it safely. So the unsuspecting Padmapada left it with his uncle, went, went off on a tour and came back. When he came back, he found his uncle's house was burnt down. Now this crooked man He'd gone to the extent of burning down his, uh, his own house so that he could claim that the volume was burnt. He wept and wailed and said, I'm so sorry, nephew, but your masterpiece is... I don't care about my house, but your masterpiece is burnt. And it's such a terrible loss to humanity. And Padma Padma said, oh, uncle, don't worry. I've got the entire thing in memory, you know, so you don't have to worry. I, I remember the whole thing to the horror of the uncle. The uncle, now not to be put down, he devised an even more devious plan. So he invited Padma pada to dinner and he poisoned Padma pada with a, a kind of amnesia-inducing uh, poison. So after that meal, Padma pada forgot well, the, the entire text. So he was very frustrated, very despondent, went, his, went, went his way back um, to his master, Shankaracharya and told him this lamentable tale. And Shankaracharya said, well, don't worry. What you had told me before you left, I remember all of that word for word, and I can recite it to you, you can write it down. So they had prodigious memories in ancient times, it seems. So it's like downloading from the cloud or whatever, no data loss. So the point of the whole story is a part of what Padmapada had written was recovered because Shankaracharya remembered it, whatever Padmapada had composed before setting off on that um, uh, ill advised journey. So that part is called Panchapadika, Panchapadika, the five sections. So it's not a comprehensive commentary on the Brahma Sutras, Brahma Sutra Bhashya of Shankaracharya. Remember where we are the sutras composed by Badarayana Vyasa, Shankara's non dualistic commentary. Shankarabhasya and on that Padmapada's Panchapadika, the five-section commentary, sub-commentary. Again, so what? Now this sub-commentary became the basis for further teaching of non-dualism after Shankaracharya and his disciples had passed away. A later generations, a great scholarly monk called Prakashatma Yati, he uh, composed... A sub sub commentary on that called the Panchapadika Vivarana. Panchapadika, and expansion on the Panchapadika. So, what do we have now? Sutra. Shankaracharya's Bharsya. Padmapada's Panchapadika. And then the uh, Prakashatma Yatis Panchapadika Vivarana. Expansion on the Panchapadika. This Vivarana became the name of the sub-school of Vedanta. So it is called the Vivarana school. The Vivarana school. And if you want to pin us down, Swami, which school of Vedanta, of Advaita, what, what philosophy do you subscribe to? Advaita Vedanta. Which school of Advaita Vedanta do you subscribe to? It will be this one. Because the lineage of monks coming down from Shankaracharya, they followed this. What about the other school? The other school came about 200 years after Shankaracharya. There was a great scholar, uh, Vachaspati Mishra. He was not a monk. He was a a householder. This extraordinary scholar is a landmark scholar in Indian philosophy. He has the title Sarvatantra Svatantra Acharya. What does it mean? A very imposing title. A master of all the philosophies. So Swatantra means independent, who has independent access to all the philosophies. so he has significant works vaishpati mishra has significant works on the nyaya philosophy on the mimamsa philosophy on patanjali's yoga on sankhya all important works and even studied even till today now what uh, what happened was the story goes so he was getting married and it seems in those days in the marriage ceremony there would be a part of the so you know hindu marriages are are unending they go on and on and on um so there was this joke somewhere that in in america a group of hindus invited their white friends to the hindu marriage and the white people were very happy oh, oh the the color and the the music and and so on and so forth and then 6 hours later is that oh god when is it going to end and so it seems in those ancient times there was um, Again, stories. One of the ceremonies would be a scholarly debate which the groom and the bride would listen to on some topic of uh, spiritual uh, of philosophy. So in that marriage, it was a discussion on the newly emerging commentaries you know, on Vedanta written by Shankara and his disciples and all. So the pundits were discussing this. And Vajaspati Mishra, uh, he was very annoyed. He said, they're getting it wrong. And um, they're just not right what they're explaining. I'm sure all the relatives would have said, hush, you keep quiet, get first, get married first. So there and then Vatsanthi Mishra vowed that once this marriage ceremony was over, he would put it right. He would compose such a textbook, such a book on Vedanta, which would, you know, for generations to come, nobody would have any more problems understanding Vedanta. They would not make such foolish mistakes. So right after marriage, he got to work. Day and night, he began to compose this commentary on Shankara's commentary on the Brahma Sutras. So, Brahma Sutras, Shankara's commentary, Vajraspati Mishra's sub-commentary. Now, long time passed. One day, Vajaspati Mishra was slogging away. Again, story. He was slogging away at his writing his commentary. It was dark. And he saw this lady enter with a lamp and place the lamp. So, he was taken aback. He said, at this time in the evening, a woman in my house who are you lady? And why are you here? She sighed and said, oh, I am your wife. And this is the first time you have spoken to me in 20 years, you know, or 30 years or whatever. <laughs> and uh, he was taken aback, and he said, "Ah, we got married so many decades ago and you have been, its just a story. I mean, he's been so involved in writing the sub, sub on the sub commentary on the Advaita Vedanta. He never even spoke to his wife. So he was very sorry about this. And he asked, what is your name? And she said, uh, my name is Bhamati. And he said, all right, I've never, I haven't been able to do anything for you. This much I can do. I will name, my, name this book Bhamati. And as long as Vedanta is studied, um, your name will, will be remembered by everybody. Everybody is going to read this book. And he was right, even till today. A thousand years. He lived around one thousand eighty. So a thousand years after uh, Vachaspati and Bhāmati passed away, even now the traditional scholars in India who study uh, Vedanta, their Advaita Vedanta, they read the Bhāmati. That's the uh, indispensable book. I, even I have a copy right here. I can show it to you. Can you see this? It says Bhāmati of Vachaspati Mishra. Yes. So it's named after that lady. A thousand years ago and it's a book with so it goes like this there's a sanskrit written by vajaspati mishra and with an english translation on the other side again what's the point what's the relation to us uh, this bhamati became the basis for another school of vedanta another school of advaita vedanta so you had now two sub schools of advaita vedanta the vivarana school which traced its origins back to padmapada and the bhamati school which traces its origins back to this book written by Vajaspati Mishra. And why did we at all talk about this? The two examples come from these two different schools. The reflection example, the sky and water example, reservoir example comes from Padmapada's approach, and the limitation example, that means the uh, the sky and the enclosed and the forest and trees, for example, uh, comes from uh, uh, Vajaspati school. So that's it. Now, it's good to know these stories. These stories are handed down from uh, the, you know, the traditional pundits. They're full of such interesting uh, stories. Okay. I'm on text number 40. Look at the Sanskrit. Just as if you take a forest individually, if you would see the components, you will call them trees, plural, many, not one forest. But many trees. Or, Yatava, or take the other example, Jalashayasya Jalaniti. Or take a reservoir. Instead of saying a reservoir, a lake, say billions of droplets of water, many, many drops of water. Exactly like that. agyanasya This cosmic ignorance, the power of God, that can be seen as many, many individual ignorances. You can say that there are many ignorances. Again, he has to give a supporting quote from the Upanishads or from, from the Vedas. Is there anywhere which says that there can be many ignorances? He says, yes. The Rig Veda, the most ancient of the Vedas, says, Indra, Maya, Vipuru, Indra, by Maya, assume many forms. So what? The Little Sanskrit grammar here, Maya Bhihi, is the plural of Maya. So an interesting use of Maya. Usually Maya is used in singular, but here it's used in plural, which means ignorance can be seen as many. Anyway, it's a long-winded way of making a point that ignorance can be subdivided or Maya can be subdivided. 41. Let me introduce the Jeevas. Let us come on stage and then we can take the questions. 41. Atra Vyasta Samasta vyapitvena vyasti samastitta vyapadesha. Ignorance has been designated as individual and connect collective on account of its pervading the units and the aggregate. Yeah. So just like um, in each individual there's ignorance, so it is called separate, many or collective, total, because it is associated with the totality, uh, with consciousness, uh, one consciousness. And all ignorance together. Now, this individual ignorance, the one which we have, iam vyasti malina sattva pradhana. This is text number forty-two. The individual ignorance, on account of its association with the inferior being, is characterized by impure, impure sattva. Remember, the total ignorance, maya, is, was predomin, predominantly sattvic and it had, it had many extraordinary qualities. But the individual one which we have uh, is, is a pretty miserable kind of thing. Uh, it is very low-powered, let us say, let's put it that way. The example of the cobra, which has all the poison in its mouth, and the poison doesn't do anything to the cobra. it's in fact, is the power of the cobra. But when it puts a little bit of it into its prey, into a frog or, or an unfortunate mouse, that little bit is enough to knock out the mouse. It's not the power of the mouse. It incapacitates the mouse. Similarly for us, that absolute consciousness, that infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, that when associated, limited, passing through, this tiny bit of ignorance now appears like us. Not particularly inspiring uh, creatures. So what happens to us? 43. Etadupahitam <speaking> chaitanyam Al Pagyatva Gunakam Pragya Ekagyana Consciousness associated with this has limited knowledge and is devoid of the power of lordship. It is called pragya on account of its being the illuminator of individual ignorance. What does this mean? Consciousness associated with limited or, or one bit of ignorance. Etad Upahitam Chaitanyam. Consciousness associated with, or um, covered with uh, one limited ignorance, now gets the qualities, alpagya, limited knowledge. Look at the knowledge, uh, compared to the omniscience of God. What about the absolute pure consciousness, limited knowledge or omniscient? doesn't apply. Those questions, it does not apply. But for God, God is omniscient and knows everything. Us, we know very little. And even that which we know is doubtful and it is earned with great effort and quickly lost. So Alpagya, we know very little. Right? Then, um, for example, in the Bhagavad Gita, fourth chapter, Krishna, when Krishna announces that he's an avatar, he points this out to Arjuna. Arjuna asks, how is it that you are saying you have taught Vedanta to in ancient times and you are teaching it now? Uh, you were born just like me, a few years ago, how could you have taught the ancients, Vedanta, to the ancients? And Krishna says, "Both you and I have had many births. I know them all. You don't. So this "I know them all" points to this, that the, the omniscience of God and the little knowledge of, the, um, of, of us, of worldly creatures, of Jeeva, sentient beings. Anishwaratva is a very important word, powerlessness. We are powerless. We are helpless. We are swept along by our karma. We are like being like little creatures being swept along in a spate, in a river in spate. Um, so, Ishwara is not powerless. Ishwara is all-powerful. Everything happens by the will of God. Very little happens by our own will. Um, we are entirely subject to nature and nature is subject to God. Adi, etc. So, all the whole stuff miserable attributes are associated with the sentient being with us we are powerful in certain ways, but uh, compared to the power of god it's nothing it's really miserable and what is our name Pragya? if you go back to mandukya you will see this is a name you're familiar with the deep sleeper is called Pragya. so what is he talking about here he says you're talking about us what what kind of us this is not something that we recognize Consciousness associated with individual ignorance. What else is he talking about? If you had talked about a body or a mind, I would have understood. But what is this consciousness associated with individual ignorance? He is talking about our deep sleep experience. What we are in deep sleep, that has been pointed out. This is the first time it's being anchored to our daily experience. What we experience in deep sleep, that is what is uh, what is the, the seed form of the individual sentient being. It is called prajna. Consciousness, in, in, uh, which experiences deep sleep. It illumines one ignorance. So consciousness in each of us, illumines one ignorance. One in the countable sense, one, 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 and so many ignorances. But consciousness, when it illumines, all of it together is God. Is God. Consciousness, which illumines one bit of ignorance in each of our deep sleep, it is called a jiva sentient being individual sentient being let me just do uh, 44. we'll I mean, do 44 45 and 46. okay asya pragyatvam aspasthopaditaya anati prakashakatvat It is called prajna because it is deficient in illumination on account of its association with a dull limiting adjunct. Dull limiting adjunct is that one single ignorance. That is called a dull limiting adjunct. And it's called prajna. So the word prajna can be uh, etymologically analyzed in different ways. Here it is in Sanskrit prajna almost unknowing, which is our experience in deep sleep. Um, Now, just like in the case of God and Maya, in our case also, we will get four names. And our dress, the uniform we have put on in deep sleep, that will also get four names. What are the names? You can now see the correspondence with, uh, and it's very symmetric, correspondence with the case of Ishwara, God, and the individual being, sentient being. 45. Asya yam ahankara. Uh, ahankaradi Karanatvat Karana Sariram Ananda Prachuratvat Kosha Vatchadakatvat Chanandamayakosha Sarva Uparamat Sushupti Ateva Sula Suksma Sharira Prapancha Layasthanam Itichauchate So the individual ignorance which we have each of us um, it is known as the causal body. Why the causal body? It is, can be compared to, it goes back to our Mandukya study uh, where the, in deep sleep, it's the causal state from which emerges like a sprout, the subtle body in, in dreams and the uh, physical body in the waking. So it's like the seed and therefore it is called Karana Sharira. What is Karana Sharira? That ignorance in deep sleep. Who's ignorance in deep sleep? Each of us. So that is our own personal causal body. Maya is the causal body of God. The individual ignorance is our own individual causal body. And it's a tiny part of the cosmic causal body. Then Ananda Prachurathva. It is the locus of, um, it's full of bliss. Bliss in the sense of restfulness. Not that we are having a party in deep sleep. If you are, then you are not in deep sleep. But it's very restful in the sense there's no trouble in deep sleep. It's a place of absolute rest. It's the deepest rest that we know of naturally. So, Ananda Prachu because it is the place of absolute rest or blissfulness. Koshava Tapcha Dakattva, because it covers like a sheath. What does it cover like a sheath? I, the consciousness, i am covered like a sheath. It's almost like like little kids we used to sleep in winter. In India, we'd put these thick blankets. And it would be fun to pull it over our, our heads. And then you can't see anything. Even if you open your eyes inside that blanket, it's totally dark. You can't see anything. So you might as well keep your eyes closed. So in deep sleep is something like that. And the blanket is like this um, uh, Anandamaya Kosha. So it is called Anandamaya Kosha, the bliss sheath. Sarva Uparamattva, Susupti. Because it's the cessation of all activity, an external world, physical activity, the senses, Mind, all of it, ceases in deep sleep, which so is called Sushupti. It is deep sleep. It's the state of deep sleep. It is also sthula Sukshma Sharira Prapancha layasthanam iti. So, it is the uh, place where the physical body and the subtle body are dissolved. That means dissolved in the sense from your individual perspective. You don't have an experience of a world. You don't have an experience of a physical body. You don't have an experience of a mind. Four names. For your individual ignorance. What are the four names? Karana Sharira, causal body. Anandamaya Kosha, bliss sheet. Um, Sushupti, deep sleep. Layasthanam, the place of dissolution. Four names. Exactly like the cosmic case. In the deep sleep. Okay, before we go on this. All right, let me do number 46 and i'll take the questions tadanim etau ishvara Pragyo chaitanya pradiptaabhi ati sukshmaabhi agyan vriti Ananda Manubhavata, ananda bhukcheto mukha prajnya iti shutehe, sukham aham asvapsam nakinchida vedisham ityutthitasya paramarsha upapattecha In the deep state of dreamless sleep or deep sleep, both Ishvara and Pragya, both God and the individual being, through a very subtle function of ignorance, illumined by consciousness, enjoy happiness or rest. As in the Shruti passage, Pragya, the enjoyer of bliss with consciousness for its aid, is the third aspect, this again from Mandukya as also from such experience of a man awaking from dreamless sleep as I slept happily, I did not know anything. So what, is, what has been just said here? What is it like in experience? How, where do we experience this thing? Notice your deep sleep. In your, in your deep sleep, what happens? There is no trouble. The worldly troubles come to an end. It is deeply restful. And we wake up from that and we say, I slept happily, I did not know anything that I slept happily, that I did not know anything, this was also an experience. Um, It is not that something that you infer or you logically, you make a calculation that um, I must have been sleeping, but no, it's actually an experience. How do you get that experience? He says consciousness, Chaitanya Pradipta, consciousness illumines the state of deep sleep. but the mind is not functioning. How do you even remember such a thing? You have, you have yourself said the physical body is at complete rest. The mind is dissolved. Uh, I mean, resolved at least, not active. Then how, if it's an experience, how do you even remember such a thing? So it makes a uh, statement here: Ati Sukshma bhi bhi. by the extremely subtle functionings of ignorance itself in the in the causal body in the Anandamaya Kosha. Remember, ignorance, causal body, anandamaya kosha, those are also dynamic. They're part of maya and there's a continuous change going on there. And so the experience, so-called experience of deep sleep is recorded there. And it is recalled by the mind when it wakes up. So there is a kind of recording going on, but it's not memory as we know it because mind is not active. You never have the memory of I experienced deep sleep. Rather, it's like a proto-memory. When you wake up, you don't feel that I was there, but yet, distinctly it was a kind of, a strange kind of an experience. Okay. Um, and he's quoting from the Mandukya Upanishad. anandabhukcheto Mukha Pragya. Hmm. Sukham Aham Aswapsam. I slept happily. Nakinki Ravedisham. I did not know anything. Um, Uttitasya Paramarsha. When you wake up, you have such a cognition. Okay. Now let's see. What, what has come up in the
0: discussions. Um, let us see the chat.
1: I presume the bliss quality of Brahman existence consciousness bliss is different from the bliss sheath Anandamaya Kosha. Is bliss the first sheath because of its proximity to the absolute, like the warmth being experienced in the proximity of fire? True. This is from Rick. Yes. So the bliss, when you say Ananda Maya, that is different from Ananda. Different in the sense that Ananda Maya means pervaded by bliss. So pervaded by bliss, it is not bliss itself. Um, When you say it's a difference between existence itself and an existing thing, consciousness itself and a conscious experience similarly ananda and that which is pervaded by ananda so the our causal body or the deep sleep experience is pervaded by ananda but it's not the not ananda as in brahman itself that is deeper than this and kosha means sheath sheath means that which covers so this one actually covers um, brahman there is a lot of discussion about this um, according to advaita vedanta brahman is something beyond the ananda maya kosha uh, according to some other interpretations, the Anandamaya Kosha is the final reality. Uh, consciousness, Ananda Kosha is the final reality. Those are the ones who accept only Ishwara. They do not accept a Nirguna Brahman, a, an absolute beyond Ishwara. They don't accept in this certain interpretations. Advaita Vedanta says, No, Brahman or Sachidananda, the absolute is beyond this or deeper than this. First Sheet, because of its proximity to the absolute. Proximity is in the sense, yes. Because there is nothing else between it and the absolute. It goes like this: causal, um, causal, subtle, gross. So right now, for example, we have the gross universe here and a gross or sort a of physical body. But within this, we experience a subtle body. And these are not theories. You can actually, you're actually experiencing. Here is a gross body, and here is a subtle body. Thoughts, feelings, emotions. Why are you distinguishing between them? It is obviously you have to distinguish between them. Note, there's a vast difference between the two. The physical body is something that everybody can see. It's publicly out there. The doctor can experience and examine it. In fact, the doctor may know more about it than you do. And the subtle body, thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas, my own personality, that is available only to you. It is directly experienced by consciousness. It cannot be objectified by others. Doctors don't know anything about what you are thinking, feeling, experiencing until you report it. They'll ask you notice. So for example, a very simple example is I went for this eye test. So now they have very sophisticated devices as an, i had gone for an eye test when I was a kid, many, many years ago. And there they only had a chart with ABCD all jumbled up and you have to read up the letters and that was the only thing they had. Nowadays, there's so many computer devices and so many scanning devices and things like that. And um, so they can can do very fine tracking of what's going on in the lens and all of that. But finally, they have to say, so Swami, how does it look to you? Why are you asking me if it's just a physical thing? then you, it should be available to you in your sophisticated device. You need not ask me. If you're studying my li- liver, you don't have to ask me. Uh, but when you're studying something like perception, there are two, uh, two aspects to it. There's a physical body, eyes and nerves and the lens, which you, you, the doctor, know better than me. But there is a subtle body aspect to it. The perception, the mind, uh, which is seeing with the help of the sense organs. And you're asking, how does it look to you? Uh, to your subtle body, to the mind, which only you can talk about. So, subtle body and physical body are different. And then we have a third kind of experience, which we don't talk about because it seems very mysterious and um, unremarkable, which is deep sleep experience. So, that is causal body. Um, yeah. And Vedanta says all those are uniforms. Uh, it's an overcoat, the physical body, and it's your shirt which is the subtle body, and it's your uh, vest, which you are wearing, which is the causal body. But you are not any of those. Is this cosmic ignorance? Cordelia is asking behind the creation of this. Yes. Brahman plus cosmic ignorance. Brahman plus Maya. Maya is the limitation of the absolute and also the Shakti of Brahman. Absolutely. How do we understand Shakti as limitation? Yes. From our perspective, Shakti or Maya is not limitation, it is glorious, it is tremendously powerful, it is, it, it's what makes God, God, omniscient, omnipresent, uh, all-powerful, omnipotent, and so on. But it's a limitation from the perspective of the Absolute, from the perspective of infinite existence consciousness bliss, with Maya, then it becomes God, so it, it, is, a, it is a kind of limitation. Um, it, it is in the sense, it gives it all these glorious powers, but all of those are in the realm of appearance. They are not uh, the reality. Let's put it this way. It is not reality as it is. What is reality as it is? Non-dual Brahman. And what is um, uh, Ishwara? Brahman covered with Maya. Yeah, Let's put it this way. Brahman covered with Maya. The screen as it is, the movie screen, covered with light and sound, is glorious. It gives you a cinema, but it's not the screen as it is. In that way, only I'm saying it's. A, but it, it gives you the possibility of playing so many movies. That's there. So it is the Shakti of God, Maya. Um, we were in school ascribed to its a limitation model reflection. Viveran we school uh, follows the reflection model. Pratibimbavada. And the Bhāmati school follows the Avachedavada or the limitation model, and there are many other differences, there are more than a dozen different differences. This is just one of them. These are major differences. Does the five koshas approach apply to all embodied beings? Yes. Five koshas are the. We will come across them later on, but we know. The Anandamaya Kosha, the Vigyanamaya Kosha, the Manomaya Kosha, the Pranamaya Kosha, and the Anandamaya Kosha. Kosha. So far, what have we got? We have got only Anandamaya, the first one. The next others will come. All of these five can be reduced to the three bodies. Causal body, subtle body, and um, physical body, gross body. Karana Sharira, Sukshma Sharira, Thula Sharira. We'll see all of that. It'll all come. Um, It's going to be built up slowly. The four names for maya and the names for ignorance associated with pragya are the same? Yes. Notice the symmetry. The same names have been applied. One for the totality and one for individual. Cobra and its poison. So in text 42, Cobra and its poison is a, it's a not in the book itself, but it is an example given by Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, what is the example? A very good example. All the poison is in the mouth or the glands of the cobra. But it does not harm the cobra. In fact, it is the power of the cobra. The poison is the power of the cobra. But even a tiny bit of that poison, even a tiny bit of that poison, when the cobra bites a mouse or a frog or something, it's enough to knock out or kill that little poor little mouse. So uh, similarly, all of maya together is the power of God. You see, the why we are using this is the words, Agyana, ignorance. Uh, Someone might say, little bit of ignorance is bad. And then God has got the totality of ignorance. So God, if I am a fool because of a little bit of ignorance, God must be the biggest fool. No, it's just the opposite. There, all that cosmic ignorance all taken together is the power of God. It enables God to hide God's own real nature, which is Brahman, Nirguna Brahman, and project it as this universe. Just like the cobra, uh, with all the poison in its mouth, no no problem at all and in fact uses it uh, to catch its prey um in sankhya many purushas here many individual ignorances can you speak about this yeah so if you stop at multiple purushas that's it but you see here we already we have started from something deeper than multiple purushas you started with one consciousness now we are saying how does one consciousness appear as many it's like one sky reflected in many 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 uh, droplets of water so it's uh, it's advaitic not um, not sankyan okay so many questions are there from an, from the perspective of an enlightened soul who's beyond ignorance there is no ishvara or maybe that there is no need for god for such a person yes and no From an enlightened person's perspective first of all then it's not a person as long as you are talking about a person you have to talk about god also you see the two came together uh jiva and ishwara right now beyond the personhood of the person and the godhood of god is that absolute so then there is only this absolute existence consciousness place does that mean there's no god you have to be careful there when you say there is only the absolute then what are you you will say i am that absolute aham brahmasmi then what is god god is also that absolute you can't say there is only the absolute and i am the absolute and god is nothing let's get rid of him no if you are the absolute then god is also the same absolute and you and god are one reality that is the ultimate conclusion of advaita vedanta there is one existence which is existence consciousness bliss through maya appears as god and the individuals individuals plural individuals when they realize that one existence they see god is nothing but that one existence and we are also nothing but that one existence god does not become false in advaita vedanta careful god's godhood or in in sanskrit is dispensed with not for not that god is demoted god is promoted to the absolute and as you promote yourself to the absolute from the jiva, individual sentient being to the absolute, you see, I am the absolute, then God is also the absolute. And you and God are one at that level. What happens to the Avarana aspect of Maya when well, that is the thing. We will see that later. The we have not yet seen the Avarana, the, the veiling power that's going to come later on. So uh, we'll see that Maya has one, uh, one of the powers of Maya is to veil the reality. That veiling is removed by knowledge. Notice, the projection of the universe continues. Even after you become enlightened, God will still project this universe for you. But the only thing is, God cannot, or Maya does not veil Brahman from you. You know that this universe is nothing but Brahman, and you are nothing but Brahman. It continues to appear in this way. But the avarana, the veiling power is uh, overcome. Can You mentioned, Rama says, you mentioned about the causal body also being dynamic. Can you explain this, please? Yes, dynamic in what sense? Not that it is hands and feet or, uh, or it is thinking something, but the causal body is made of sattva rajasthamas. Because it's my remember, ajnana is made of trigunatmika sattva rajasthamas. And it's a tiny bit of that ajnana, so it's made of sattva rajasthamas. And this is continuously changing. Sattva is becoming Rajas, Rajas is becoming Tamas, Tamas is again becoming Rajas and Sattva is changing. Because it's dynamic, it has the power or so they say, of recording the experience of deep sleep. An experience within quotes. It's not an experience like normally. I see something or hear something and I remember it. Not that way. Alright. Two hands were up. Um,
0: Prabir Babu, you're next.
2: Uh, Mahesh Pram, uh, my question. I, I'm going to have. Uh, you know, it's in my mind. I don't know how to express it. But uh, the first question I have is that when we're talking about uh, when you're studying Vedanta shar I have this problem that um, as if we're trying to put. You know, uh, let me see how to. We're trying to uh, visualize these things that were abstract before. And then the problem comes is, how do I and how do I understand these things, actually? I have a tendency of saying, okay, this is ignorance, this is mine, this is... And they're not really uh, concrete things to grasp your, hand, your, your...
1: All right, I get what you're trying to say. Don't worry about it. This um, Vedansar will make it very concrete. You know what's going to happen now? Now we have, they have introduced Ishwara. And the jiva next, they will show how Ishwara produces the world. The five elements will be produced from the five elements, the subtle bodies, our mind and prana, and everything will be um, constructed. And from and then the five gross elements from which the entire physical universe will be constructed. So, when the whole process of superimposition, adhyaropa, culminates, you will arrive at where we are a cosmos with plants and animals and stars and planets and physical bodies, then you will have something uh, concrete to grasp. And you will have the entire process step by step from where it came from. Right now, we are at a very abstract level. Consciousness, ignorance, Cosmic Consciousness uh, or Consciousness and Cosmic Ignorance. Parts of ignorance, whatever that is. Uh Deep sleep There's still, slowly it's beginning to be rooted in experience. See, there already is something that you know has been mentioned. Deep sleep has been mentioned.
2: One, one thing is, what about where does time, space, and causality reside? It's not in
1: ignorance, right, or is it in the mind? Time, space, and causality resides in Maya. That will not be spoken about here. But another uh, definition of Maya is time, space, and causality. It is the stage on which the cosmic drama is played. So, time, space, and causation are like the stage. If you need want to have a play. You had a stage. So. What is the stage for this cosmic drama? You require space. You require time. And you require cause and effect. Something leading to something else. And then the whole thing will come up. Remember, I think you had asked um, last time. I forgot to mention. No, Girish had asked uh, that where does this universe come from? And he asked why this particular universe? Why, is, why are we like this? Why are stars and planets like this? Why is life like that? So what does Vedanta say about it? Vedanta says all of this comes because of Maya. The absolute is projected as the many. That's it. But in the many, all these things, different distinctions are there. Varieties are there. How do you explain that? At the most, Vedanta will say it is because of the law of causation or causality. Law of causation is causality. Working through time and space, it produces all this variety. If you want further detail, the best answer would be today. Would be science. You see, science is as far as we can understand. Even science is limited, but as far as we can understand, we can get much better detailed explanations of what's going on in this universe. Why a certain kind of life is like this? Why does a particular chemical reaction work like that? How do stars? Uh, how are stars powered? The fusion reaction and so on. Science has provided us much better explanations. Um, so the detailed explanation of how things are in this universe is a scientific question but then you say why not stop with science no i was just thinking about it you know if you stop with science three fundamental questions cannot be answered three questions one question why does anything exist at all why this thing exists and how it influences other things science but why does anything exist at all what is existence that book i told you about why does the world exist jim holt so he takes this question to science, physicists, mathematicians, um, computer scientists, philosophers, theologians, uh, poets. Um, why does anything exist at all? What is existence? That's one question. And there Vedanta is actually it is the science of existence itself, Sattv, pure being, isness. The second question that cannot be answered, if you stick to only science as we know it, is consciousness. See, we have run up against the hard problem of consciousness. Now you cannot explain, you can, you will explain. You'll end up with brain and nothing more. So consciousness is the second question that cannot be answered and how important that is. And the third question, which cannot be answered is the question of value, meaning, meaning, ethics, value. Those things cannot be answered in a scientific way. So these things, And notice what, so what does Vedanta say about it? Notice what Vedanta says, Sat, Chit, Ananda. All existence questions point back to Sat. Consciousness points back to Chit. And all questions of value, ethics, happiness, meaning, purpose goes back to Ananda. So this is the answer to the deepest questions which cannot be touched by science, by the very definition of science as we know it. Then who thank you. Who who's in next? Shavani. Yeah. Maharaj. Yeah.
3: Today you talked about uh space permeating the pot. Uh,
0: hmm
3: so the uh, and then um, just a few minutes back we talked about the subtle body and you mentioned it's within the gross body now when we say within it almost seems that the subtle body is embedded Inside the gross body, but then if we think about consciousness, let's say just the way it uh, per, uh, pervades and permeates everything. Similarly, the next, the subtle, the mind is that also not permeating the uh, gross body, like my body and all bodies? Because we are experiencing the whole world, uh, uh, everything in the mind, so it's not inside of like. Uh, as it uh, sounds, no,
1: uh, I mean, the way we look at it this way that um, there are many subtle bodies, there are many causal bodies, many subtle bodies, and many gross bodies. Clearly, there are many gross bodies you can count here 70 plus are here, the separate bodies and the minds are also separate. Are they not? If you ask questions, if you ask for opinions, what does an opinion poll do? It takes the opinions of different minds, it's because the minds are different, thoughts, feelings, ideas, understanding is different. So subtle bodies are also different. Now, where is this subtle body? We find the working of the subtle body in the physical body only. Um, Without the physical body, the subtle body doesn't function. It exists, but it will not function. It's like software and hardware. Software permits the hardware. It makes it, but it needs the hardware to work, to express to function. Um, So yes. Subtle bodies are limited within the physical bodies, but not limited in a certain sense because when the physical body dies, the subtle body still exists. It will go on. It is prior to the physical body and it will outlast the physical body. And the causal body is prior to the subtle body. The causal body is nothing but the the defunct state of the subtle body. When the subtle body stops functioning, resolved into blankness, that's the causal body.
3: Yeah, but I think uh, based on today's discussion, I was thinking uh, more in subjective terms. Like if we take from a subject view, like me, only uh, from my point of view, when I look at it, my causal body, and then from that springs up the subtle body. Uh, and then in that subtle body, I, I, if I for the moment forget that, let's say I'm dreaming. I mean, is there really a difference between the waking state and dream state in that? No,
1: so you're going to, yeah, so that's a different question. You're going to Mandukyana. So don't go there. Here it's Vedanta Sara, it's for
3: yeah, far. Vedanta it's not, kid. It's not Sorry. Vedanta Sara, but my, uh, the, this question that lingers. So I thought I'll ask.
1: Yes. Is there a difference between the dream and the waking? Certainly there will be a huge um, difference depending on your answer to this question. If you say waking and dreaming are two different states and there are distinct properties, So in the waking, we experience an external world which exists independent of our individual minds. And in dreams, we experience an internal world which does not exist apart from our individual minds. Our minds are conjuring up that world. So that's one view. And that's close to the common sense view. Are you with me? That's the common sense view. That's the scientific view. That's the view that the world operates on. I mean, the common sense view, materialistic view, reductionist view, scientific view is that, yes, there is a difference between your waking and your dreaming. Dreaming is entirely subjective. It is you you and you only. But the waking world is not you. You are only a tiny, tiny part of the waking world. So that's one view. Does Vedanta accept that? Yes. That's one model in Vedanta. That's the basic model. It is called Srishti Drishti. Srishti Drishti means... God has created the universe, and then we sentient beings are placed in it. And that's a common sense approach. And that's easily acceptable. And that's what Vedanta Sar will proceed on. But remember, we are talking from Mandukya perspective, there is another perspective which Advaita Vedanta also follows, another model. That um, there is no difference between the waking and the dreaming. Remember, in Mandukya, we put in a lot of effort to show that there's no difference between waking and dreaming. So if you don't, if you erase that difference, it has dramatic consequences for the reality of the world, an external world. It becomes as subjective as your dream world. So from a Mandukya perspective, there is the causal state, deep sleep, and there is a, waking, uh, a dreaming state. What is the dreaming state? Your dreams are also dreams, and your waking is also another kind of dream. Maybe a little more permanent kind of dream, but nothing outside uh, you know, your subjective being. So that's a very dramatic step. That's not the normal way we think. Now you might ask, but which one is it? Which one is it? If you ask, are you asking?
3: Yeah, I'm asking and it seems more logical. The second one, I mean, it means it means more than the first.
1: It's logical. It's philosophically deeper. It's a more radical view of Advaita Vedanta, but. um, It's just one more model it's not the, that's also not the reality remember from an advaitic perspective suppose you ask you're seeing this model and that model press tell me which one is real advaita will say i already told you text number 33 only brahman is real you're waking dreaming it's not that the, the dreaming world is everything is a dream and no that even that is false that world exists in my mind world your mind your individuality those are also all false According to Advaita Vedanta, only Brahman is real. Vedanta is very simple that way. Then, what is all these? What are these models from an Advaitic perspective? These are upayas. These are methods. These are ways of. You remember the donkey being tied and untied. Right. These are ways of untying the donkey.
3: Yeah, a better explanation of uh, Maya, so to speak, the world we. uh, Better,
1: better in what way? I'm listen carefully. Better in one way and not better in another way. Better in one way, which way? Logically better. Mm-hmm. It is more economical. You know, you've heard of Occam's razor? So a more elegant explanation. So that is, um, I mean, it would satisfy a mathematician better, a philosopher. Um, but it's not better in another way. Which is the other way? Which is, why is it not better? It's not better because it does, it's not what normally what we think of. If you actually say, so what is all this teaching, all, it, all of it, what is it about? It's for taking us to liberation, to enlightenment. If you start off by saying, you have to regard your waking like your dream. Our answer will be, are you serious? I can philosophically think about it. Even I as a monk can't live like that. So we make a very practical distinction between waking and dreaming. Imagine right now, if you, you were told that this is a lucid dream. Do you really live like that? No, it's very difficult. So, most people would be dissuaded from this kind of teaching. If you say start by regarding your waking life as a dream. No, take your waking life to be real, more real than the dream life. And then start from there, we will take you to Brahmanda. The whole point is not to regard the waking life as a dream. The whole point is to realize it is Brahman and Brahman alone. So this accepting the waking as distinct from the dream, as ordinary people do, as most of us naturally do, that might be a better technique.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: quoted Bradley last time he said, "It is not necessary that the truest philosophy will be the best religion. It is not necessary that the truest philosophy will be the best religion. Most logical philosophy, most elegant philosophy may not be the most it may not be the best method. What is logical?" may not be psychological right Right? yeah so you're saying it's better logically is it better psychologically
3: uh, yeah but instead of throwing it out of the window is i, I understand like uh, for for a practical day-to-day uh, transactions is good uh, the, i mean the first one you say that's that's probably more useful uh, utility wise but then this also we should is, should we not also keep it along? I mean, just uh, as something uh, actually, and they,
1: they, are, they, should keep it, and and that is uh, Mandukya is actually based on that this model which you are talking about. Mandukya insists that you should you should Mandukya Karika Gaudapada. He insists that you should regard the waking and dreaming as equivalent.
0: Mm-hmm. Whole
1: you cannot understand Mandukya until you take that big step. Okay. Even that is not radical enough. There is a third model. There's a third model which is called Ajatavada, non-origination, where the universe is regarded as equivalent to deep sleep. Why are you stopping a dream? Regard it as, the deep, as this complete subject-object distinction, list blankness, deep sleep. The world is like that. <laughs> that is even more radical. What they are saying is, what was there in deep sleep, in your deep sleep? not a bit more is there in your dreams or your waking this vast world you're seeing in waking is exactly the same thing that you saw in your deep sleep it's perfectly all right there's, not, there's no problem here there is nothing to be achieved nothing to be realized nothing no problem at all to be resolved exactly what was in deep sleep is here now what are very radical position that's called ajatava the non-origination
3: mm-hmm yeah so just uh, just a final thing so should we take this approach like the like uh, the po- uh, the space exists inside the pot so that mm-hmm. that's day to day transactional word. Yeah. is that the thing i mean uh, of course i do not mean consciousness in state. like in this case the subtle body subtle body is something Yes.
1: subtle bodies are limited to the physical body as far as practical purposes go, But not limited in the sense of, for example, death of the physical body is not death of the subtle body. It will continue. It did not begin with the physical body. It will not die with the physical body. Okay. In that sense, it pervades. it, it is beyond the physical body. Alright. Quickly. Yes? Who's next? Uh, ji, you're next.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Swamiji, I mean, you alluded to it in text 46, but it's a problem that I've been grappling with for some time. You know, if brahman is experienced here and now in the waking and dream state, I understand that absolutely. But somehow in deep sleep state, that experience seems to be ex post facto. I mean, today when you were talking about it in text 46, it did say that you know, that experience is recorded in uh, the subtle body. Hmm. Could you elaborate on it? Because that's something that's really getting me uh, bogged down quite a bit. Yes. Experience.
1: You know what experience is like experience is consciousness plus object. Think about it. All experiences are consciousness plus object. Now, most of our experiences, what we see in the waking and in the dream, are consciousness plus object, but in between the mind is there. Very. So the mind contributes many things, mind plus the sensory system. So the experience becomes um, visual, auditory, olfactory, different kinds of sensory modalities are there. Plus the mind contributes, I see, I hear, I like, I understand, I remember, I forget. All of that is contributed by the mind. And that's our general idea of experience. Consciousness, through the mind and sensory system, experiencing objects. Waking state. Consciousness, shining upon the mind, experiencing objects there, dream state. Mind shuts down. External world is not cognized. Thoughts and dreams are not cognized. Consciousness shines upon this blankness deep sleep state. We hesitate to call this an experience because our common idea of experience is waking and dreaming when the mind is active. When the mind shuts down, we feel there is no experience. But experience is consciousness shining on an object. Presence of an object, illumined by consciousness. Absence of an object, illumined by consciousness. Why? Because the very nature of consciousness is effulgence, luminosity, illumination.
4: But why is the experience in a sense after the event, you know, ex post facto? That is because when you wake up.
1: Now you tell me, you tell me why is it so?
4: Well, I mean, I could say uh, what, know, distingu- what distinguishes the deep
1: sleep uh, from experience, so called within quotes, from waking and dream experience. What the distinguishes
4: mind. It? It's, it's the mind is not uh,
1: mind is not there. That's why it seems to be exposed facto. Why? Because the experience we are, we are used to, what you talk about when you talk about experience, is I am seeing, I am hearing, I am thinking. What's this? It's the mind. When this is absent, you know why this problem is there? Because we have not sufficiently distinguished the mind from consciousness. We are mostly talking about mind and consciousness mixed up together. And that's what we understand to be experience if you clearly distinguish between mind and consciousness you will not be so worried about uh, the absence of the mind there is no experience consciousness is still there the problem is not the activity or inactivity of the mind the problem is the inability to distinguish mind and consciousness
4: Uh, but sorry to belabor the point swamiji but at that point am i not just accepting it merely because i'm being told because In the other two states, waking and dreaming, I I can actually, you know, feel it. I can understand it. I'm aware of it. But in the deep sleep, there is nothing since the mind is in there. And that's where that bothers me further because it almost brings me back to the spot that the mind has a role to play. I mean, I know intellectually, I understand what we've learned that, yes. you know, it's the mind that's really, in a sense, also the biggest impediment in realizing my true nature, my true self. But still, I mean, I, I'm getting very caught up there.
1: I know. And it's, it's very natural. You know, what is happening, it's like this. There's a mirror. And I, the original face, I'm looking at the mirror and I see myself reflected there. That is what I call experience. Now, I am not aware of my original face apart from the mirror and the reflected face. When the mirror and the reflected face are not there, I'm saying the original face is not there. Sri Ramakrishna says in one place, he says, if I always look at my reflection, people will think I'm mad. What was that all about? It's this. We think when the mirror and the reflected face are not there, there is nothing. But if you know, you're aware of the original face, like we normally, ordinary people get aware. I don't need to see myself reflected all the time. I'm there, I'm perfectly all right. Sometimes I can take a mirror and look at my face, fine. But neither the mirror, nor the reflected face is of importance to me. Because I know I exist apart from all of that. I'm quite clear about it. When a mirror is necessary, I will use it. Otherwise, I can let it go. But there's something that the mirror does, which the original face cannot do. Mirror gives me my original face as an object. And if by misfortune, I'm unaware of the existence of my original face, if there is something called the avarana, the veil of on my understanding and my only awareness is mirror and reflected face. Then I will say everything is gone. You are telling me that there is an original face, but I don't see it. It's like that. Don't chase that experience,
2: okay,
1: brother. What you should do is inquire. Use the Vedantic method of inquiry: drisdrisya viveka, panchakosha viveka, avastha to get a grasp, even a mental, intellectual grasp of what is actually the original face, the original consciousness. Then this terrible clinging to mind generated experiences will not be there anymore. Right now, you can think about it this way. You have two kinds of experiences, presence of objects, absence of objects. Think about, try to think about Deep sleep, as the complete, is an experience of complete absence. Can you? It takes you to the verge of enlightenment. There is something shining in deep sleep, something looking upon the blankness of deep sleep. That you cannot catch as an object because its object is always a
2: reflected face.
4: Maybe that's the mistake I'm making, Swami Ji. That I am still looking for the mind, and therefore looking for an object.
1: Yes, looking for the tenth person outside. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Let's. It's late today, we'll, we'll quickly let's hear the questions at least.
0: Good evening, Good evening, uh, um, A question about uh, the purpose. Like If I understand correctly, uh, like Ishwara has a purpose of maintaining the universe, the Maya, the the whole thing. And let's say when a Jiva gets enlightened and the body dies, what's the purpose of the subtle body then?
1: The subtle body also, if you get enlightened, there won't be the subtle body also. Upanishad, speak of it. Until enlightenment is there, when the physical body dies, the subtle body continues and gets newer and newer physical bodies and goes from lifetime to lifetime. But upon enlightenment, when that particular physical body dies, it goes back to nature and the subtle body also will go back to nature. Subtle body is also a product of nature. We will see. Subtle bodies also will be produced. Mm-hmm. Ishwara is going to roll out like a vaccine, I think, billions of subtle bodies and distribute it now very soon.
0: So, so which means that at this point in time, the experience of Maya stops. You sort of... you. Like you, you you, don't sort of, it's not a, the model like in Christianity or other religions when you become an angel and you have a, like a role to play together with God in order to do yes, this yes. and that.
1: Correct. So a theistic idea would be your individuality is mentioned, uh, maintained. That means your subtle body will still be there. And you go to a higher spiritual world and maybe a higher spiritual purpose. So That's a theistic idea. In the Vedantic uh, ideas that, you always wear the infinite and you realize that you are the infinite. Purpose. When we talk about purpose, purpose is always limitation. Purpose mm-hmm. is always uh, restriction, always weakness, always imperfection. So when, does it mean that... when there is imperfection. So then does it mean that uh, there is a
0: uh, Ishwara eventually will cease to exist because it's also a limitation?
1: No. Uh, there's one model of uh, Advaita Vedanta in which there are um, some beginningless and endless entities like Ishwara. What you see when you say cease to exist, there are two kinds of ceasing to exist. One is switch off, nothing, finished, destroyed, gone, forever. That's one ceasing to exist. Another is the ceasing to exist when you realize a dream is a dream or a movie is a movie. So once you see that the movie for and all the characters in the movie to be part of the movie. Have they ceased to exist? In a sense, yes. You realize they never were real. But they are appearances. In that sense, Ishwara and the world can continue. There's no problem at all. The the movie can play on. Once you realize it's a movie, it's fine. You don't have to switch off the movie. Thank you. Yeah, The difference in Advaita Vedanta is not that something has to be changed. It is only difference between ignorance and knowledge. Not realizing and realizing. Um, the untying of the rope, which ties the donkey, so-called rope, which ties the donkey.
0: Thank you. Ingrishji? Yes.
4: Uh, thank you, Swamiji. a um, follow-up to why this, that, that I asked last time. Um, according to ongoing Darwinian evolution, homo sapiens
1: may evolve into super-intelligent beings who, who reflect Brahman in their neural hardware better than we do today. So are we sort of heading into sort of a utopia of populated by Muktis eventually? Uh, and is that consistent with Advaita? Um. I would again say yes and no, because uh, evolution will only get give us better bodies, better physical bodies, better subtle bodies maybe, more powers manifested in our subtle bodies. So, if we spiritually evolve, and that's what we are actually, what nature is making us do, is to spiritually evolve lifetime after lifetime uh, uh, until we become enlightened. This particular body is enough to get us to enlightenment, uh, human birth. But superior bodies and superior subtle bodies can only give us more power in nature, in Maya. So those are in, in uh, Indian cosmology, they were called Devatas. It'll come again, Devatas. Devatas are literally, it means shining beings. So they have extraordinary power. They are like Superman and whatnot, Spider-Man with more, much more power than us. But that's still within Maya. And they may or may not be enlightened. And are we going to become super evolved beings? Maybe not. Um, What might come about is uh, this uh, artificial intelligence powered uh, robot bodies with extremely much more capable than us. That might happen. (laughs) Yes. All right, on that science fiction note, let us end today.